We're on chapter 2 of Song of Solomon, part 4 in this series. We've just been kind of working through, uh, as quickly as possible, this, this awesome book that's an allegory. We look at it as an allegory between that depicts the love relationship between God and His people and, and us individually. And uh, I just have to tell you this, as I was working through the outline and trying to get it just truncated and get it in a, in a, a brief, concise form, I'm leaving so much out, it's, I'm in pain every single time because I'm leaving out rich thoughts that are in the text. And so uh, if you haven't done a, 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 our class on it that takes it in more detail, you just have to. You just have to do the class. Because this is just more a, a, an overview style format. I know there's a lot of good things that you're getting out of this. But man, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving out as much as I'm putting in. I'm dying over here. Because it's just so good. Oh, why am I leaving it out? Because I don't want to have to preach Song of Solomon for the next 20 weeks. <laughs> 20 sessions. So, uh, yeah, it's just enough to whet your appetite. So, um, yeah, if you wanted to go deeper, I would encourage you, next time we offer the class, grab it, take the class, and, and we'll go deeper um, than, than we're able to do here just on Sundays. But uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the outline. We're in Song of Solomon chapter 2. Uh, we've come through Song of Solomon 1, where she has expressed her need, her, her, the revelation of her own immaturity and her weakness her, her proneness to sin, we find her in a burnt out state, and he comes and he addresses her, and he, he begins to speak love to her and, and declare to her her beauty. And this is how Jesus deals with us. In our weakness and our brokenness, Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, I love you. I love you. And this, even, even in your weakness, even in your, your, your spiritual immaturity and darkness, I love you and, and I see you as beautiful. I see the sincerity of a believer who has a yes in their heart to me. I see the sincere yes and that, that moves me deeply and it's from there that her heart begins to open up and that's how it works with us. When we come to the Lord, he's not smashing us and beating us back and saying, you're so bad, I'm so sick of you, all those failures. He's saying, no, 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 I see the sincere yes. I know you're weak. I know. I know your frame. I know your, your dust. I, I blew life into dust and made you. I get it. He says, but I, I love you because there's a sincere yes on the inside, and I am desirous for you. And so it's from there now that chapter, we get chapter 2, and she begins... Her heart begins to come alive in the revelation of the bridegroom's love. And so what we have here is uh, essentially two sections in this chapter. We have the, the experience of pleasure that she's having in intimacy with the bridegroom. And then we have this call to come up higher, the call to come away. And uh, it's going to catch her off guard. It's going to shock her. And so let's just go ahead and begin to work through it. And, um, and I'll just reference this, the title of, of the outline, Pleasure of Romance and the Call to Come Higher. When we use the word romance, we're speaking of the interplay of intimacy between us and God. It's not this thing where Jesus is romancing us in a, in a sensual way, but it's the, it's the romance of intimacy between God and people, the love of God for people and how that moves and allures our hearts. 
And so we use it in that form. Remember now, we're in an allegory. So the, the language is all figurative of something. It all speaks of something. All right, let's look at verse 1 and 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, 1 and 2. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. This is her statement about herself. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And then he answers, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now, as I said, she has begun to believe that what he said is true. That he really does find her faithful and beautiful in the midst of her spiritual crisis of immaturity and weakness. And so here we have this amazing statement from her, which is a critical, it's a critical uh, junction of maturity that each of us have to come to, where we actually begin to believe that God sees us as desirable. He sees us as desirable. He sees us as beautiful. And, uh, and she says it. She says, I am. This is what I am. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. And of course, those images are easy. A, a rose, it's kind of known as the most beautiful flower, like the love flower. It's, it's known as this, this uh, flower above others. And so the Sharon Valley was the place. I mean, that, there's a strip there by the Mediterranean, the Sharon Valley. And it's, it is still the place of the most lush vegetation, fruit, and flowers. And, and when, when the flowers are in bloom in the Sharon Valley, it's, it's one of those places in the earth that's just rare. It's exquisite in its beauty. And that's what she's saying. She says, I realize I am, I am the rose from Sharon. I am, I am seriously beautiful. I am, I am really desirable to him. He, I, this, is, this is real to me. And there's a far cry difference between believing yourself to be ugly but appreciating the fact that somebody says, no, I think you're pretty. You know what I'm saying? There's a far cry difference between I really, but on the inside, I just, that's how I feel about myself. Way different being like that versus going, no, I actually am beginning to believe I'm beautiful and it's real. And this is what happens for a believer in Christ. There's a, a, a place of understanding who you are in Jesus where it's not just this, I'm horrible, but God still likes me, and even though I'm a horror story, it's actually you recognize there's real righteousness that's been given to me. I'm really, there's real beauty that's been imparted to me. And I'm actually beautiful. It's real. And there's detail about me that he created me with that no one else shares. There's unique facets of me that he desires. And he's putting righteousness upon me. And it's causing all those unique places in me to come alive. There's virtue coming out of me that's legit. And I see myself as real. I'm actually the real thing. I'm, I'm actually a sincere lover of God and not just a, a horrible, you know, uh, hypocrite. And that's where she's at. She goes, no, I, I, this thing is real to me. He, he says I'm beautiful. I believe it. I really believe it. It's moving me. And she said, I'm not, I'm not just thinking I'm a little beautiful. 
She goes, I'm, I'm the real thing. I'm the Rose of Sharon. I'm the most beautiful of all the flowers from the most beautiful place that flowers come from. You get it. Righteousness, beloved. How does Jesus' blood shed for you and your acceptance of that, how does that make you look to God? You know what I mean? We kind of get, well, it's just him that's making me look good. I'm so, and he's so awesome, and I'm still bad, but he thinks I'm pretty. No, no, no. It's a totally different reality. This thing actually touches you, changes you. It transcends you, changes your nature. We get a born-again nature, and so the, the impartation of beauty is real. It's actually something you possess, the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took our filthiness that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is our position in Jesus. This is reality. When he sees you, he says, you're beautiful. And it's not just, you're really ugly, but I think you're beautiful. It's, no, 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 you really are beautiful. The yes in your heart has, has caused you to be able to receive righteousness imparted to you, beauty imparted to you. It's a real part of you. And he goes, I see it, and it's real. When you begin to see yourself that way before God, your approach to him will change because you'll recognize you're not just sort of this, you know, slave girl trying to, you know, servant girl. Like, I think, I always think of Cinderella, you know, the Cinderella, like trying to get the favor of the prince. You're not just that. You're fully beautified by the Holy Spirit, fairy godmother. Did you catch that? You're fully beautified by the blood of Jesus. Imparted righteousness is yours. It's imputed and it's imparted and it's yours and it's real. And so when you come to him, he really does say, oh, wow, you're beautiful to me. So she's getting it. She's starting to understand. She goes, I'm the Rose of Sharon. She goes, I'm the Lily of the Valley. And again, Lily, a Lily is the uh, Sort of the second in line, beautiful. She goes, I'm the rose and the lily. I'm both. And the lily has this, this uh, tenderness and this, this uh, virtue about it that's different than a rose. And, and so she's speaking of these things. And the valley represents fallen humanity. She says, I'm like a beautiful, tender flower amongst the midst of the rest of humanity that's, that's not saying yes. And this is the example I gave before If all of humanity is represented in 10 people, it's about one out of 10 that are born again. And so if Jesus walked into the room and there were 10 people and you were one of them, nine would turn their back and one would turn toward him and it would be you. That's that's the percentages of how how many people have said yes to Jesus. He's not going to look at you with disdain. He's going to look at you, oh, you're beautiful to me. You're beautiful to me. She's beginning to believe it. He said it to her over and over and over at the end of chapter 1. Remember that? He said it over and over and over. My love, my beautiful one. And she's now beginning to believe it. And she's saying it about herself. And then he comes behind her, and he even takes it up a notch. He goes, no, no, no. You're like a lily, not just of the valley. You're like a lily among thorns. It's better than what you think. She goes, I already thought I was a rose and a lily. He goes, no, no, it's better. He goes, you're like a lily among thorns. He goes, it would be, uh, you have the highest level of, of beauty in my mind. In the comparison, 
is there, it's your, your, your comparison, your comparison is, it doesn't have the excellence that I, that I see. He said, I see you as far more beautiful than even you imagine. Like a lily compared to thorns. And he said, that's, that's how you are. And she's believing it. She's believing it. I found this generation, this is the, a critical, critical message. Because there's so much of a war on self-image. And uh, ultimately, if you think about the, the whole idea between Lucifer and, and his, his uh, rebellion, it was a beauty contest at the end of the day. He said, I want to be exalted like him. He got puffed up in pride because of his own beauty. So I want to be not just number two beautiful and, and operating you know, with borrowed beauty. I want to be the most beautiful. I will be exalted above the throne of God. In that moment, he was, he was vanquished, vanquished from, from the throne room. But it was, it's always been a beauty contest. Who is the most beautiful to us? Is it Jesus or is it the lust of the earth? You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Is it the, the, what the enemy offers? Well, by the same token, he takes it and turns it around and makes it a, a beauty contest for us. Are you beautiful and desired by God or are you beautiful and desired by, by the enemy, by the lusts of this world. And people live their life trying to, to find themselves in beauty in some way, not recognizing that to Jesus, they are, they are beautiful. It's real. This is how he looks at us. And the whole, all the self-image problems, they go, right, they go right back to the core of this. Are you acceptable? Are you loved? Are you desired? By God. It really goes all right back to that. And the reason why the enemy puts self-image problems on people is because he has a self-image problem. It's not enough for him to receive imparted beauty. He had to be it and try to exalt himself over God. It just, uh, he, so he, he passes that on to us, to people. You don't receive that. Receive what Jesus says. Amen. All right, verse 3. So then she answers. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in the shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He's like an apple tree. Now, here's what's going on in the next few verses. She's, she's describing the experience of pleasure in intimacy. She's just going to go on and on for a few verses about the, the wonder of experiencing the love of God. All of us in Christ are to have a season of just, you know, experiencing the love of the bridegroom, the experience of the intimacy of God, the the understanding of his, his desire and his gaze upon you. We're all to have those times. And what we find here is that he actually has hedged her in in this season and just wants her to experience in a very focused way his affections and his love because it's going to have a transformational power on her life. And a lot of believers, right after they get saved, they have this. We, we, you know, we, we talk about how you know, the, the first love, reality, for many believers, that first six months or a year, you're just, oh, in love with God. You don't know, but it's just awesome. Like You don't even know what you really are thinking about at all, but it's just amazing because God's real, and man, the sky's blue, and the grass is green. Look at that. It's awesome. I mean, I remember getting saved and going outside and going, it all looks better. Everything looks better. I remember saying that to my friend. 
everything looks better out here. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, God's real. The sky's beautiful. Wow. And he was like, what's wrong with you? I go, I think I just am for the first time seeing reality. Like this thing's real and God, God's real and he likes me. I didn't have that language exactly. I didn't have the God likes me language. But I go, God's real and, and it's, this is all real. And Jesus really did die on the cross. And I'm really, man, I really need Jesus. And, and I'm saved. And everything looked different. Everything looked different. And it just, you know, that, that, those first days of, of encountering the Lord's love, it's like, man, you just feel like, man, it's, he really loves me. He really did die for me. You know, you hear things like, if you were the only one that would ever have said yes, he still would have died on the cross for you. you like, you get the, the idea of his concentrated, focused love on you, and you go, oh, yeah, that, I, oh, man, I'm into this. Yes, yes. Well, that's what's going on with her here. She's experiencing that, that time of pure delight in the presence of the bridegroom. And she's experiencing him as fruitful compared to everything else. And that's why she says he's like an apple tree among all the other trees. All the other trees, they don't have anything that refreshes me and nourishes me. But, man, he's fruitful. And, and, and man, oh, it's nourishing and refreshing me. It's changing me. And she said, and I'm under his shade. I'm under his shade, and it's delightful. Remember, before she was out working, and she was, she was getting burned out. She was so worn out over everything else. But here she's resting reclining and experiencing delight in the shade, under the shade tree, and experiencing intimacy with him and, 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 and tasting of his nature. That's what his fruit is speaking of, is the nature. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of God. She's tasting the nature and the knowledge of God, his attributes and his character. She's finding out what he's like. She's resting and receiving from him. And her heart is coming alive. She goes, this is awesome. It's awesome. We need these seasons, beloved. I find, I've been in ministry 20 plus years, I find if you don't stay abiding in love, you will bottom out every three to five years. How do I know that? Because I did that. For about the first 10 years of, of my Christianity, about every three years, poof, I would hit a major divot you know, for a month or something. Just like, oh man, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. Ugh. And then I just wait, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Okay, I said yes to Jesus. Okay, I do believe the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. Okay, I do believe I confess him as Lord. Okay, okay, I am saved. Okay, I'm saved. <sighs> okay, at least I'm not going to hell now. All right, so. And I have to literally like almost reboot it all, just start over, just getting so tired and burnt out because I wasn't tending my own garden. I wasn't allowing the love of God to continuously nourish me and bring me alive. And so I find this and have watched it in ministry now for quite some time, you know, people can be 25 years in the Lord and they need the shade tree bad. That's why some people love IHOP. They'll come to the prayer room, they're like, dear God, it's a shade tree. I can just come in there and just feel the presence of the Lord. Yep. Anytime, day or night. What? I can come in here and just like cry and nobody will mess with you. Nobody will mess with you. This is awesome. This is awesome. Yes, it is awesome. But here's the thing that she's about to find out. The shade tree isn't the only place where there's intimacy. Hallelujah, all you IHOP people. In other words, in that place of just resting under his shade, 
isn't the only place of, of intimacy, and he's about to call her away in just a minute. He's about to call her into partnership and, 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 and conquest together. But right now, she is experiencing that intimacy, that delight of the romance, of that interchange of intimacy between her and God. He's refreshing her with his presence. Trees are symbolic of humanity. He is the only fruitful one in all of humanity, the only one that's touching her soul. We can all say this about Jesus. You're the only one that moves me. You're the only one whose love has captured me. And that's what she's saying. This is, this is what the language is saying. You're, you're an apple tree among all the trees. I'm under your shade and it's, it's touching me. It's, it's delightful to me. It's pleasurable to me. And as I, the more I get to know you, the better it is. That's what it is. It's fruit is sweet. The more I get to know your nature and your attributes, the more I get to know the fruit of the Spirit and who you are and how it moves me. Oh, it's sweet. It just continues to get better and better and better. That's what she's saying. Verse 4, and she says, he brought me to the banqueting house. The banqueting house is also known as the house of wine. She brought me, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. She says this, sustain me and refresh me. Sustain me with cakes, raisin cakes, and refresh me with apples, because I am lovesick. This is huge. This, this ver- these two verses are big. <clears throat> Here's why. In chapter 1, she's at his table. The table is representative of the, the virtues in redemption, the cross. The banqueting house, the house of wine, is representative of, of the allure and the intoxication of love. When you've seen these renewal movements in, in the church where the Holy Spirit comes and is refreshing people with laughter and joy and things like that, that's a, that's a taste of the banqueting house, the house of wine. The Lord re- refreshing, renewing the heart, filling the heart with joy. It's a taste of the banqueting house. He, he's, he's reviving the heart with love. She says, he brought me to the, the house of wine. He's refreshing me, alluring me, intoxicating me with love. And then she says, and his banner over me was love. His banner over me was love. If you can walk away from, something, from this today with something, I want you to walk away with that phrase. His banner over me was love. What does that mean? That means this. All his activities toward me are all love. It's always been love. In the, in the difficulty and in the ease, in the blessing and in the trial, it's always been love. The banner, the sign over my life, the activity of God, that's the idea, the activity of God over me, has always been love. There's something God's doing in your life, whatever it is. It's ultimately to evoke a deeper revelation to you of his love and a deeper response from you of his love, of your love. Whatever God's doing in your life, it's always to give you a deeper revelation of his love and to evoke from you a greater response of love. That's his banner over you. 
All the activity of God is love. And I, we could sit here and, and talk through all the myriad nuances and challenges of life. Look, I get it. Life's hard on a thousand levels. Confusing on a whole bunch of levels. I mean, it really difficult to discern. Let's, let's be honest. If you look back through the activity of your life, I mean, and you fully understand every step, you're better than me. I look at certain things in my life, like, I don't get that at all. Like, I, what were you doing? Where were you? Why did that happen? Why did that have to happen? If you don't have any why did that have to happens, you're not old enough yet. Because you'll have them. Everybody has them. Everybody has why did that have to happen. And we're not going to necessarily be able to see it all from this far away because that's how far away we are. It might have been 10 years ago, but in light of eternity, it's this far. It's one inch from our face. We can't see the whole picture from that, that perspective. But if you can understand it, that his banner over you is love, that ultimately he's only allowing the ingredients in your life that will bring you to a greater revelation of his love and evoke from you a purer response of love, it will take you, uh, I mean, so far. It will, that, that understanding will sustain you. And I find in my own life, and we're going to find it in the life of the maiden, that uh, I go in and out of believing that. Just being honest. Some days I'm like, man, it's better over me is love. Usually when it's easy. Oh, it's all love. It's love, love, love. Everything's about love. God loves me, and he just wants me to love him more and love other people more. That's why this is happening. Oh, love. And then everything's blowing up. It's bad. It's negative. You know, 17 people are mad and blah, blah, and things go difficult. And, you know, on five different levels, and you go, it's love? Is your banner over me still love? Because right now it feels like your banner over me is frustration because that's all I'm learning. You ever been there? And it's in those moments of difficulty, often I go, I'm not sure if the banner's still love, because it is still love. Still love. I go, how could it be love right now? He goes, because you're looking at it from one inch, and I'm seeing it from eternity. I go, you're, you're training my heart in love right now. He goes, yes. Impossible. This is too hard, too difficult. This, this is impossibly, it couldn't be. I'm not learning love. He goes, you will. I can't see it. He goes, you're looking at it from an inch. I'm seeing it from forever. Stay hanging on to me through it. It'll be love in the end. Believe that one, beloved. His banner over you is love. All his activity toward you is love, and it's all for love. Amen. She says, he brought me to his banqueting house. And his banner over her is love. She's getting it. Then she goes, from this place, she goes, sustain me and refresh me. She goes, I don't ever want it to change. I want to stay alive in love. And then keep visiting me over and over and over. Refresh me and make it new again and again and again. He goes, I, I want to do that. I want to sustain you and refresh you in love. I want to continue to cause your heart to be anchored to love. And I want to make it new over and over and over again. I want to sustain you and refresh you. 
And then she says it. She says, because I am lovesick. I want, if you don't get what God's trying to do to you, if you ever get to that place in life, you go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm trying to make you lovesick. Lovesick? That can't be what you're after because it's what I'm after. What is lovesick? That's when you get to the place where you realize I cannot live without you. I cannot live without you. Above everything else, I have to have you. Everything else could blow up. Everyone else could turn away. But I have to have you. I am lovesick. I cannot do without you. That's what God's doing to his bride in this age. He's bringing all of us to a place of lovesickness. Where we're completely allured. We're intoxicated on love. And then we come to the place where we say, I can't live without him. I can't live without him. If you imagine you can live without Jesus, you're not lovesick. If you think I just take a break from Jesus, just go do my own thing for a while, you're not lovesick. You know when you're lovesick, when you all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you go a day or something and you haven't, you haven't shared intimacy and you get that pang in your heart. You go, oh, I, I need, I need you. I need you. See, people will say to me, wow, man, 24 hours a week in prayer. Wow, that's amazing that you're so disciplined. And I go, no, not really. I'm not really that disciplined. I, in fact, I'm clear about that. I'm not that the most disciplined person. Uh, but it's kind of like this. If, if I were eating a uh, gallon of ice cream daily, just say I just, I was just, that was my normal thing. I just, at the end of every day, I just polished off of a gallon of briars. <laughs> What's your favorite? Just, you know, think of it. Cookies and cream or whatever. I just, man, every day, day in and day out, and I'm just polishing that off. And you just, if you came to me after a month, you go, man, I've been watching you for a month. You're eating briars every night. You are so disciplined. <laughs> I'd go, uh, not really. I really like it. It's that reality with the love of God, but it's even another step. It would be as if, you know, say you live on, you know, regular food, but I live on briars. <laughs> I just imagine briars is what sustains my life. <laughs> Something I really like, and if I don't have it, I'll die. It doesn't ultimately take a lot of discipline because you've been caught. Lovesick is caught. That's when you're caught. He's caught your heart. And you can't, you can't go weeks on end without him. You got that pang on the inside. I just, this is not working for me. Love sick keeps you. It's magnetic. Love sick. When he's, when he's caught your heart, wrecked you, and ruined you for anything else. That's love sick. And you can't do this life without him. Ultimately, that's what he's doing to his bride in this age. He's causing her to be lovesick, to come to the place where she realizes, I cannot do anything without you. 
Without you, I have nothing. I am nothing. I can do nothing. I must have you. And what's worse, if I'm not close to you, if I'm not intimate with you, my heart is all messed up. That's what he's doing. That's what he does to us. He overwhelms us with love. He reduces us to love. He captures us with love. It's the most alluring, intoxicating, wonderful, amazing experience, and it's a real addiction. Hallelujah. And that's what happens to the heart of the bride. She gets so in love with him, she cannot do without him. And this is what he did. He, he uh, nourishes her with the, refreshes her with the apples and the shade, and she's rested. She's alive. Her heart's moving. She's experiencing this interchange of intimacy with God, and her heart is exploding. And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm lovesick for you. And that is a turning point. Because now it's not just... How much can I get from you? How much can I get from you? How much can I get for you? She's beginning to come to the recognition, I can't live without you. I can't live without you. And that's the journey we all go on. All right, flip on over. You see why this is so hard to just truncate? It's just so rich. I got to hurry. So then, here's what happens. Verse 8, it's the call to come away. <clears throat> he goes, you're lovesick. Okay. I got you right where I want you. He goes, here it is. Now the scene is going to change, and he is going to come to her in a way she's never seen before. He's going to come like a warrior. She's only experienced him like a bridegroom who's in love, like a safe shepherd. Here he's coming as a conquering king. So look at it. Verse 8, the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Got to do this quick. It's actually one of my favorite parts of the book. The gazelle that's leaping on the mountains. There's a, there's a term for it. But when you have a gazelle that's on the mountain, prancing up and down, a young stag, a, 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 a male gazelle, it is sending a message to all the other animals, I'm nobody to mess with. When it's doing that, they, do, they actually do this. They jump up real high, super high, and it's sending the message, I am no one to mess with. This is my territory. And so he shows up now as a warrior king. Notice she recognizes his voice, but she's describing him in a completely new way. He's like, like a, what is he? He's a young stag leaping and skipping. I've never seen him this way before. And that's what happens. She's caught off guard by how he comes to her because he comes in power. He comes not just as uh, this romantic who's going to you know, refresh her and sustain her. He comes now as a, as a warrior. Can you imagine Think of it this way. I had a friend of mine explain this. Imagine you have two young people and they fall in love and, and they get engaged and they, you know, they, they spend a you know, whole nine months getting to know each other and they're engaged now. And, and then you know, once there's this engagement, 
Now he shows up and he's in full warrior headdress and full like armor. And uh, he's got weapons on him and things. And she's like, what are you dressed as? He goes, well, I forgot to tell you, my father is the, uh, the king of the, you know, let's just go exotic, the island, but they're on an island now, the king of the island, and I'm the head of the armies, and I've been called into battle to bring my father's armies against the enemy. She's like, that nine months was awesome. What happened to the shade tree? He goes, this is who I am too. I kind of liked hanging out and resting. He goes, that's me too. But now you have to know me as this. I subdue authorities. I subdue kingdoms. I do my father's will in this manner. And I want you to come with me. She goes, um, I'm not trying to do battle here. I'm under the shade tree. He goes, that was awesome. This will be awesome too. Come with me. We won't, be a, we, we won't be apart. And that's what's happening in this part of the song. He shows up as this conquering warrior, skipping on mountains. Mountains represent principalities and powers and governments and, and kingdoms. Skipping and leaping upon them. She's never seen him this way. And then we get this image of him, and he's stalking her. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. He is like stalking her, looking in the windows of her life. This is Jesus. Always with his eyes fixed on you. I love seeing him like this. Because when I go try to hide myself away in my own comfortable place and just, you know, I'm just in my own little comfort zone, there he is outside pacing, staring at me through the window. Now, she's got it backwards. <clears throat> she says, he's behind the wall. Well, actually, she's the one that's insulated on the inside. He's out there in the free. She's the one that's caught. She's in her comfort zone. He's calling her away. And he has got fire in his eyes. I love seeing him this way. This when, Actually, when I first was reading Song of Solomon, first studying it, and I, and I heard that he loved me in my weakness and he believed my love was real. That was, that's what ignited me. But then when I saw Jesus as Braveheart, that's what won me. I go, he's Braveheart too? Okay. I'm all in. I'm all in. I can do this. And that's what he does. He shows up as this warrior who's going to trample on the enemy. Look at D under Roman numeral 2. I describe it this way. The whole image is like this. Behold, the conquering king of the universe is calling your name. Behold, the glorious one, majestic in power, is coming for you, calling you to partner with him. That's what that is. That's how it always is. Jesus wanting his bride with him. Verse 10. My beloved spoke, said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. He says, rise up, step into who you're destined to be. You've got a destiny that's far different, far greater than what you've imagined. Step into who you're called to be in me. Rise up, my love. And then he says, and come away. Flip on over. 
He goes, it's partnership I'm after. Us together doing the exploits of my father's kingdom. He's answering her prayer. Draw me away. Let us run. He goes, that's awesome. Rise up. Let's run. Now remember, he's answering this declaration of her heart. I'm lovesick. I can't do without you. He goes, okay, it's time. Come with me then. Come with me and let's do spiritual warfare together. Let's trample on kingdoms and principalities. Rise up and come away. Let's run together. It's what you wanted. He goes, let's do this. And then she begins to kind of go back to who she's been. She recognizes that she's not fully mature yet. She's still got areas of inadequacy. And beloved, this is one of the massive mistakes that maturing believers make. They imagine that God only uses the fully mature. That's not true. He uses all of us all along our journey into maturity. And even the ones that we would say are are mature, he would say, there's so much more. He always uses the imperfect and incomplete. Well, what she does is she... She's looking at him. She's shocked. She sees him in a way she's never seen before. Oh my goodness, who are you? He goes, I'm the commander of the Lord, the captain of the, the I'm the Lord of the hosts, the captain of the, the Lord's armies, the commander of the, the armies of heaven. She goes, oh, I'm not sure about this. He, and, he, and he says these things in verse 14, which is in your outline. He goes, oh my dove, I want to see your face in the secret place of the cliff. He said, there's a, there's a place on the mountain that's a secret place we can experience intimacy together. You don't, you don't have to lose intimacy with me when you come away. He goes, we can do this together on the mountain. We can, we can share love and intimacy there. He goes, I want to see your face and hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. He goes, oh, I want you partnering with me in this place of conquest. And she looks at herself and she'd begun to believe. She's beautiful. She'd begun to believe. And then she just goes, but I'm not complete yet. I, I can't. I can't. I can't do this. Have you ever been in that place? The Lord calls you into something and you just begin to doubt yourself? Oh, man. Been there a hundred times. I just can't. There's just no way. I don't see how this is going to happen. Well, because if it's all about you, it's not going to happen. <laughs> You're not the commander of the armies of heaven. He is. Amen? You know, she's looking at it going conquests over kingdoms, trampling on mountains. I don't even, I, I just, I got nothing. He goes, come with me. It will be okay. I do this. This is what I do. I can do this. I, and I want you to come. What happens is God calls us into experience with him and all sorts of cool kingdom stuff, and we imagine that the onus is on us to make it happen. And we stare at ourselves and go, I'm completely inadequate. There's no way. And because of fear, and because we're looking at our incomplete state, we go, I could never. I'd let somebody else be heroic. I'm just me. And what we don't get is he only uses little old me's. He only uses in, in process people. 
He uses the weak and immature because it's not about how awesome you are. It's about how powerful he is. And so she says the thing that just is, oh, heartbreaking. Verse 17. This is her refusal. She says, until the day breaks. See, when the day breaks, that's when the light comes out. And the shadows flee away. She's talking about the gray areas in her heart, the stuff that's incomplete, stuff that's still immature. She's still trying to come out of that place of spiritual immaturity and darkness. She goes, no, no, until all the gray areas are gone. She says, turn, my beloved. And you just go be like a gazelle and a young stag. You go upon the mountains of Bether. Bether means separation. You go and be separated from me. And until the day breaks, until all the shadows flee away, then I'll be ready to come. And what we're going to find is this. I'm ending here. Is in chapter 3, she's going to remember, I am lovesick. And I can't live without him. I can't do this. It'd be better for me to be on the mountains in the scary place than here in the comfort zone without him. On the mountains with him in the scary place is far better than here in my comfort zone without him. Amen.